let's gather back together and I'm, I'm just going to pray for us. Great, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much um, for this celebration of this morning, for baptism. And thank you with us now. And I just pray you would um, speak to us through me, that you would just um, help us to hear what you're wanting to say to each of us, to us as a community, um, whether it's our first time or our thousandth time. Um, yeah, Lord, we just want to hear your word. We want to grow in you. We want to hear what you're wanting to say to us, to transform us, to bless us, to renew us in your image. Amen. Um, there's a guy called Mike Iaconelli, and he's written a book, uh, I think it's called The Witteringburg Door or something like that. But anyway, he's, he's from a place in, in kind of rural America, um, which is pretty foreign to me, where there's ranches. You know, when kind of like, there's not really fences, the animals can kind of just go wherever. Um, and he writes about his experience of how a cow gets lost. A question I know we've all asked. Um, but, but what he says, is he, he says the, the, the cow is there, and it looks at the grass and it eats the grass, and it just takes a slight look up, and it sees some more grass, and thinks, oh, that looks very nice. And so it, it takes a step forward and chomps on that grass, and then sees a bit more grass in front of it again, and so it looks forward and takes another step forward and chomps on that grass, and then there's a bit of nice-looking grass just on the other side of that, that fence there, and so it kind of walks around to the other side of the fence and eats on that grass, and then again and again and again and again. And before you know it, the cow looks up and realizes that it's totally lost. There's no anything, anywhere. There's no other animals, there's no other things. And he writes about that and he says, you know, I, that can be so common to our experience today. You know, life is so busy, so hurried, there's so many kind of things assailing us. We get caught up in the kind of the doings of life that, that very easily we become like a cow who's eating grass and we're eating the next bit and we're eating the next bit. But, but the question is, is, is what we're feeding on actually taking us in the right direction? Or are we going to look up at a point and go, oh, where, where am I? Where am I? I wonder um, what you're living for. What's your kind of, the, the thing that you look to to give you meaning and purpose and satisfaction. I wonder what absorbs your heart and your imagination the most. And, and, and the Bible kind of uses a word to talk about that kind of orientation, and it uses the word worship. We worship that which occupies, you know, absorbs our heart and imagination the most. We worship that which is the thing we look to for our source of kind of direction and meaning. And, you know, every single human being on this earth worships something or someone or at least some things or some people. Um, but, but worship is an incredibly powerful thing because worship dictates the people we're becoming. It shapes the people we're becoming. It, it shapes the direction our life is, is lived in because that which absorbs your heart and imagination the most, that which you, know, you look to to define who you are or that you look to for your sense of satisfaction is going to be the thing that dictates how you're going to live that dictates the kind of the way in which you're going to make decisions. You know, if the thing that drives you the most in life is success, you're going to make decisions based on what will make you successful or not successful. So you might work super late because that's a sacrifice you're willing to make because you want to get ahead. Or you might kind of sacrifice time with the family because you want to kind of be successful. You know, if, you're, if, you're, if the thing that kind of absorbs your heart and imagination the most is, you know, wanting to feel happy, that's going to lead to a slightly different way of, of living and being. 
you know, maybe you're going to want to spend more time with the family. Maybe you're going to, well, maybe you're going to want to spend less. Um, you know, you're probably not, not necessarily going to work, want to work as hard hours because unless you really, 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 really enjoy your job, maybe that won't bring a sense of happiness. So it's going to dictate the way you live. What we worship shapes the people we are becoming, shapes the direction we live our life in. And so I think the most fundamental question we can ask as human beings is, what is it that we worship? Or who is it that we worship? What is it we look to to give us that, you know, what absorbs our heart and imagination? What's the thing that we find ourselves dwelling upon the most that drives us in life, that we kind of, if you like, live towards? And the second question is, and where's that leading you to? Where's that leading you to? Because none of us want to be like a cow that's eating grass. We want, to be, we want to be a cow that knows where it's headed, that's not just hoping for the best. And, of course, as, as Christians, um, we believe that um, it's the fullness of life, that, that it's worshipping God that is what we're created for. That's the relationship we're made for. That's the orientation of life that we're made for. And when we kind of orientate ourselves in that direction, when he, when Jesus is the one we worship, it kind of shapes us ever increasingly towards who we were made to be, who we were made to be. We become fully alive in him. When he is the one who, who is you know, at the center, who is, who is the kind of one who absorbs our heart and our imagination the most above anything else, then we, we steadily become fully alive in him because he is our center, because he is the one we're shaping, who's shaping us, because he is the one we're living towards. Um, if you are just joining us for the first time this week, um, we're week three in this series um, called Faith in Exile, looking at the book of Daniel. And the basic premise of this series is this, that, that we are kind of as Christians in something of a kind of, um, you know, exilic existence living in the Western culture today. You know, we don't live in a culture that is Christian. We don't live in a culture that is church. We don't live in a culture that's therefore, you know, encouraging us to worship Jesus and walk in his way. We live in a culture that's actually got, you know, a whole myriad of different competing things saying, hey, this is how you should live. This is the vision for life. This is truth. That's truth. Um, This is kind of, you know, what the good life looks like. All these different things. Um, And as those living in that culture where there are so many things that are normalized, that are pulling us apart from the worship of Jesus, we've got to know how how do we live in that space such that we don't just get co-opted by it and therefore get taken away from the thing that we know to be true, that is that Jesus is the ultimate truth, that he is the center of all meaning and life and that he is the one we are to worship. So we're looking today um, at Daniel 3. So Daniel is this book of... um, uh, Daniel and his three friends, where the story today's got his three friends and Daniel is not in it, um, but they're in an exilic period. They're, they're living in Babylon, they're Israelites, but they're living in Babylon, this hostile, different culture that's trying to kind of form them in its image, make them worship the Babylonian gods, you know, think in Babylonian ways. And, and, and it's, it's amazing just reading their story because they seem to manage to find a space where they resist the kind of, you know, forces of Babylon, as it were, kind of shaping them into its way. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's quite long, but I'm going to read a bit of an abridged version. So King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, made an image of gold, so an image of um, a Babylonian god in gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, that's reasonably big, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. 
He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the image, dedication of the image he had set up. Then the herald proclaimed loudly, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all other kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. What a choice, right? Um, so two options for everyone. You can have the furnace or you can worship the image. You know, I bet that was a long decision for many people. Furnace or image, what do you fancy? Oh, I think I'll, uh, I think I'll uh, go for the image, please. Um, we carry on. So at that time, some astrologers came forward. So some people are kind of, you know, they're Babylonians, they worship the Babylonian gods, um, and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your, God, your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious of rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So, I mean, it's gun against head moment. You know, guys... It's the furnace, or you do what I'm telling you, and you worship this image. You worship the Babylonian god, in other words. And um, it says this. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the god we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you are set up. We'll stop there. You can read the rest of the story, but they get thrown into the furnace, but God, of course, rescues them from it. But I don't know if you just put yourself in those shoes of those three guys for a minute. You know, you've got King Nebuchadnezzar standing before you and offering you this amazing choice. You know, what a generous man to give you the decision. Um, and he's saying, furnace or worship the idol? Like, what would we do? Honestly, what would we do? You know, I suspect many of us, I'm going to throw it out there, would, would probably tack towards trying to be a bit pragmatic. We'd be like, oh, well, obviously it's a dreadful thing to die. We don't want that. Clearly not a good option. So look, go and worship the idol for five minutes. Shut him up and then crack on you know, with your worship of Yahweh. But they don't do that. They say, we'll have the furnace, thank you very much. And they say, well, we think God will be able to rescue us from it, but they don't know that for certain. Um, and they say, look, he can rescue us, but he might not bother, and if he doesn't, that's fine. We'll still have the furnace. That's so counterintuitive. Like, how many of us would choose that option? That just sounds like the worst option possible. Like, why would, why would people choose physical death over just simply worshipping something else? I think the reason is this. 
is that they've understood something I think better than many of us intuitively do. And that is that worship is the ultimate question of life or death. Worship is the ultimate question of life or death. You know, the claim of the scriptures is that, that when we kind of worship God, we kind of align ourselves with, with, you know, how we're created to be. We become fully alive in him. We become more of the people we're made to be. When we kind of worship other things, it's a bit like, it's a bit like putting petrol in a diesel car. It might run for a little bit, but over not that long, it starts to kind of slowly kind of destroy the engine and it kind of, kind of grinds to a halt. It's almost like we become kind of less of ourselves. And over the course of a kind of human lifetime, that might be something we don't notice too much or it might seem negligible or perhaps worst, it might look a bit like a shame. But extended across eternity, it's a disaster. The ultimate question of life and death is not physical life and death. It's something far more profound than that. Worship is the ultimate question of life or death. You know, the reality is this. Human mortality, last I checked, um, have to be corrected on this, is still at 100%. You know, every one of us is going to die. The monks used to um, keep a skull on their desk to kind of remind them of the mortality. It sounds really you know, grim, it sounds really great, but they, they kept it there to kind of remind them that life is this blessing, life is this incredible thing. And, and they kept it there to kind of remind them of the ultimate question, which is the question of who or what do you worship? And so how can we therefore make sure that we, you know, as followers of Jesus, worship Jesus, that we don't just get pulled away by all these other things that are kind of demanding, you know, to have top billing in our life, demanding to be the kind of thing that um, we look to sustain us, demanding to be the thing that we look to to kind of absorb, you know, uh, our minds the most. Like how, do we, how, how do we ensure that, you know, we stay on Jesus? So, I love Tim De Keller's definition of an idol. He defines an idol as something that's Anything that absorbs our heart or imagination more than Jesus. So it doesn't mean that other things won't you know, feature in our life, but anything that absorbs our heart or imagination more than Jesus. And, and he adds kind of anything that you look to to give you only what God can give you. So anything you look to to give you a sense of meaning, satisfaction, that only really truly God can give you. And I think the difficulty we're spotting where, we are, where, where there are things that we are worshipping that aren't Jesus in our life is that often it's subtle for two reasons. And the first reason is that for many of us, we probably believe in Jesus. We come to church on Sunday. We worship him. You know, the, the temptation is to kind of think, oh, well, tick, I'm doing it. But that's not the issue. The issue here is not whether Jesus features in the mix. The, G, the issue is... Is Jesus the thing that absorbs our heart and imagination the most? Is he at the top, or is he actually maybe second or somewhere in the middle? And, and the second question, uh, reason why I think it's hard to spot is because often the things that we are most inclined to worship are things that are good things, but they've somehow been able to become kind of absolute in our lives. So by way of kind of example, you know, we can worship our children, 
Now, our children are an amazing thing, a real gift. Like, they, they need a lot of our attention. They absorb a lot of, you know, Seth absorbs a lot of my heart and a lot of my imagination. But goodness me, if, if Seth is the thing that's the most important thing in my life, the thing that kind of absorbs my heart and imagination more than God, that actually ends up becoming a destructive thing when he's the thing I focus on above and beyond Jesus. You know, we can worship a feeling of wanting to feel in control. There's nothing wrong with feeling in control, but it can become the thing we worship, the thing we seek the most, the thing we can't almost live without. And we can't kind of cope unless we know everything that's going on, unless we're kind of appraised of all the information, unless we're kind of, you know, there's no uncertainty. And so if this is us, we often find ourselves kind of, you know, when there's things that aren't, remain uncertain, kind of percolating over them constantly, because there's a bit of this that subconsciously thinks, well, if I hold it in my mind, it feels in control, even if I'm not actually able to do anything to change the situation. You know, maybe we worship success, that that's the thing that drives us, that that's the thing that, you know, is guiding us in our life, you know, wanting to be the best or to get ahead or to win. Maybe it's, it's the stuff we own, um, maybe it's kind of money or, you know, our home that, you know, the thing we think about the most is kind of what we're next going to do to do up the lounge, or we're, we're constantly worrying and anxious about, you know, the amount of money we have or don't have, or maybe we're constantly sort of thinking about the next purchase we're going to make. You know, is that the thing that absorbs our heart and imagination the most? Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe we struggle when we're kind of a bit bored and we just need kind of constant stimulation. So we're constantly looking for the next thing to keep us engaged and entertained so that we don't feel bored. And, and that ends up being the thing that actually drives us on a kind of subtle level. Maybe it's Maybe it's feeling happy. That we want, we want to feel good, and so we're, we're, that's the thing we're constantly trying to live towards, and that's trying to guide us. But of course, you know, feeling happy is a, a false god because there are things that might make us feel happy, but don't necessarily do us any good. And equally, there are things that we need the most that are actually not necessarily always pleasant to go through. The question for us today is, what absorbs your heart and imagination the most? Is it Jesus or is it something else? And if it's something else, where is that leading you? Where is that taking you? How do we, um, how do we then counter this? As those living in a world that will constantly form us into its image, that will constantly kind of put things on our agenda and shout about them, that's never going to be saying, hey, worship Jesus, he's really important. H how do we kind of orientate us ourselves towards the way we're created to have him as the first in our life? Two things. The first is that um, we've got to engage in the practice of worship. Worship is an orientation of our life, but it's also a practice. It's also something we do. It's an act. And it's what we do today when we gather. And I, and I think... Um, there has in the church over the kind of last sort of, I don't know how many years, been a move to kind of emphasize more that worship is a lifestyle. But in doing so, it's de-emphasized the significance of acts of worship to the point where Sunday almost feels like something of kind of like a bonus, where taking time to worship God feels like something that's kind of, you know, oh, we don't really need that because we can worship God throughout the whole rest of the week. And it's like, no, no, we need that more than ever. Because, you know, in, in the same way that if you want to, if you want to win a running race, you've got to engage in the training. It's not enough to just turn up for the event. You know, we've got to train ourselves in worshipping him because we're living in a world that's training ourselves and worshipping all other things throughout the week. That's why we take time to worship him. 
that, well, that's why even if it's sometimes boring and we're not in the mood, it matters so much because we're kind of rehabituating ourselves. We're realigning ourselves with the, with the true thing. That's why we, we, you know, we take time over it. That's why we take time to sing because there is t- there's something about singing in particular, you know, over and above often many of the other t- elements in our kind of time together, that the sole focus of what we're doing is worshiping Jesus. That's why we take time of it, because we, we want to align ourselves with him. We want to align ourselves with living a life that's worshiping him. And so step one is engage in the practice of worship. On Sunday and throughout the week, take time. It doesn't need to be long. It could be you know, two minutes a day, but just to praise him for who he is. Worship him for what he's done. And second, we need the Spirit. Today is, of course, Pentecost Sunday. It's the day we remember um, the Holy Spirit um, coming um, in the early church. And the, the Holy Spirit is given to us to, to help us to worship and to know God. You know, the Holy Spirit is God, and, and the Holy Spirit comes to make Jesus present to us and make the Father's love real to us, even though, you know, he is not actually physically present with us in the room. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus present to us in the room. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to us. The Holy Spirit makes the Father's love not just a concept, but a reality that we experience and know. You know, we need him. He is the one who guides us in worship and in truth. And as Paul says um, in Ephesians 5.18, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a continuous thing. It's a go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the, the evident implication is that we, that we leak. You know, unless we go on being filled with the Spirit, coming before him daily and asking him to fill us, make himself known to us, you know, we kind of just start to kind of, it's like the light just gets dimmer. I, I love what Nicky Gumbel on the Alpha Course, he, he, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says it's a bit like, you know, some of us are a bit like the pilot light in a boiler. You know, the Holy Spirit is there. He's present. But he, he's like the pilot light, this just tiny light. But when you, when you come before him and ask him to fill you with the Spirit, it's like, you know, it's like when the boiler ignites and it goes, and it, you know, it just fills us. And we grow in our passion and our love for Jesus. We grow in and, and our awareness of who he says we are over and above who other people and other things say we are. We need to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit if we are to be people who worship him and therefore walk in his ways and therefore come to the fullness of life. I'd love for us to pray now. And in fact, I'd love for us to just pray. Um, it's Pentecost that we might be filled with the Spirit of God. Um, Shall we, if you're able, um, if you're not, don't worry, um, stand together. I think it's easy to get a bit passive when we sit down for too long. And I'm just going to pray, and we're just going to invite God to come by his Holy Spirit and to fill us afresh. And then we're just going to wait, and we're just going to give him time to do what only he can do, um, and to meet with us and to fill us. Holy Spirit, thank you for this incredible day, this day of celebration, of baptisms, of um, you know, seeing people make faith commitments. Um, and Lord, just as you did on that first Pentecost, I pray that you would come now and fill all of us with your spirit, that you would realign us with how we are made to be, that you would evoke a fresh passion in us for Jesus, a fresh awareness of the Father's love. And so come, Holy Spirit, I pray.
Let's just wait and allow him to meet with us. we're getting distracted just maybe just fixate on the name of Jesus just repeat that over in the quiet of your minds now come Holy Spirit in this place of receiving from him. Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, come. praying before the um, uh, meeting and someone there just felt like God was saying that there might be someone here today as we're kind of praying who um, it's like you feel like God kind of makes himself known to you and you feel like God's sort of becoming real to you but immediately you're kind of questioning that and doubting that Um, and we just felt like he was just wanting to say no no this is a further assurance that really is me you don't need to doubt it it really is me I love you stay in this place a minute longer people are are meeting with God and I don't want to rush on
thank you for your kindness and your love that when we ask you always draw close when we ask you always fill us afresh you're not the God who withholds but you're the God who gives and you're the God who pours out your spirit without measure on your church and so we just pray that you would pour out your spirit without measure on us now as your people we need you more than we realize, more than we admit. And I pray that you would fill us, that you would birth in us a, a fresh passion, a renewed depth of faith, a boldness, a resolve, a joy, a peace that only you can bring. Fill us now to the fullness of everything the full measure in Christ. Amen. We're going to, um, we're going to uh, close our time together in um, worshipping God in song. Um, if you feel like God's been meeting with you over the service, 